Come on, good morning, church family. How are we doing today? You feel good? Man, second service is alive and well. What an honor to be back here. I haven't been uh, teaching at this uh, campus for about three months, and so it's an honor to be back. Can we welcome Framingham TC online family? Come on, put our hands together for all the family. We love you guys so much, and um, I love just getting to see all these beautiful faces. Turn the house lights up a little bit just so I can see the people. Uh, I haven't been here for a little bit, and so it's an honor to be back here. Uh, how many are excited to be in the house of God today? Come on. I was uh, last service, of course, we have a first service before this, and um, I uh, walked out the back afterwards, and, and my microphone was still on, and thank God I didn't say anything stupid. Uh, but that's happened a few times. It reminded me of a story I remember hearing from Dad. And Dad, uh, Dad walks back uh, after service is done, and he has his microphone still on. They didn't turn his microphone off. He's like, ah, tough crowd. And the whole church heard it. I was dying laughing at it. So how do we know? Y'all are in a tough crowd. We're going to have a good day in the house of God today, and uh, I'm just going to get right to work. Can we get right to work today? Um, as we get to work, uh, turn to Exodus chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to throw it up on this big screen right here. This is my sermon title and subject for today is We Don't Fear the Future. Um, I, have a, I have a strong message for you. And honestly, what I want to provide is some clarity but also some challenge to everybody. Now, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, we have a collective responsibility to do something that I want to introduce to you today. And so uh, if you don't know who I am, uh, my name is Devin. I'm one of the pastors here. I actually lead our Tri-County campus. I'm also our youth and young adults pastor. We only have one person that loves that campus, so praise God for that. Um, and she doesn't even go to it, so thank you for your pity, Whitney. I appreciate that so much. Um, no, but God's moving in and through our church. How many love to be a part of this church and this church family? Praise God. All right, let's go to the Word. Matter of fact, uh, as we read the word, I would love everybody to stand to your feet. We're, gonna, we're not doing spiritual gymnastics in here. Don't worry about it. But, uh, but we really believe in the honoring of God's word. I believe this is going to speak to you today and challenge you today. So this is what the Bible says. A man from the family of Levi married a Levite woman. The woman became pregnant, and she had a son. She saw there was something special about him and hid him. How many know the anointing can be recognized even when you're young? Talk to me, everybody. You can recognize the call of God even when they're young. This, and this woman, Jacobed, doesn't mention her name in this text, but we know that's who she is. She recognized this baby's anointing. She hid him for three months. I'll give you context for that in a moment. But when she couldn't hide him any longer, what did she do? She got a little basket made of papyrus. Got it, Whitney. Waterproofed it with tar and pitch and placed the child in it. And then she set it afloat in the reeds at the edge of the Nile. The baby's older sister found herself at a vantage point. This is Miriam right here. Found herself at a vantage point, watching over her little baby brother to see what would happen to him. So she watched to see what would happen to him. Pharaoh's daughter came down to the Nile to bathe. Her maidens strolled on the riverbank. She saw a basket boat floating in the reeds and sent her maid to go get it. She opened it, and she saw a crying baby. Her heart went out to him, and she said, This must be one of the Hebrew babies. Then his sister was before her. Do you want me to go get a nursing mother from the Hebrews so she can nurse the baby? Pharaoh's daughter said, the princess said, yes, go get her. The girl went, called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter told her, take this baby and nurse him for me. I'll even pay you. This is such a powerful moment right here. The woman took the child, nursed him. And after, here's the last verse, after the child was weaned, grew, matured, she presented him to Pharaoh's daughter who adopted him as her son. She named him Moses which means I pulled him out of the water. I want to teach from this subject today 
in our time together. We don't fear the future. We don't fear the future. In this text particularly, everybody stay standing. In this text particularly, there's a woman uh, that is basically Pharaoh's daughter, the princess. And she sees this little Israelite baby floating on the Nile River, and she hears a baby's cry. So she sees this baby. She hears this baby crying. Her heart was moved, is what the scripture says. And so she sent her maids to go get it. So this is what my prayer has been this whole week is as we read this text, is that God would open our eyes, he would move our hearts, and it would lead our hands to go to action. I think all of us have a responsibility here that maybe you've never heard before, and I believe that God's going to reveal through this text, all of us have a responsibility as a family to actually help raise the next generation of Moseses. And so I want to give some, some insight to that. We started a podcast about three and a half years ago. Um, and it's really designed to help people navigate their 20s. I believe the 20s are a, a season of life where you make the greatest decisions of your life. Who are you going to marry? Where are you going to go to school? What are you going to do? All these decisions are made. The reason I'm saying this is because all those episodes are, are built to be practical, biblical, and relevant and cultural. Uh, we say at the end of every podcast, we have this little signature and this little statement, which I want to kind of pro- prophesy to the whole church family today. And it's this, is that we don't fear the future. We pioneer it. And I believe this is no matter what you believe about your future, no matter what you believe about this next generation's future, what I believe is we don't fear the future because we know who has the future in his hands. But I also believe that we can partner with God in designing the future. We don't fear the future. The future doesn't make us anxious. It makes us excited. Come on, is there any believers in the house that say the future is not something to fear? It's something that we believe we're going to pioneer. Amen. We don't fear the future. Father, we love you. We thank you, Jesus, for this holy moment that we share here together. And so today I ask that you would put me on like a glove and use me today, Father. Help us to see Jesus, hear from heaven, and to encounter the power of God. I pray what the princess experienced, we would as well. That, God, you would open our eyes to see a problem in our society. You would move our hearts to hear a baby's tears. And ultimately, you would lead us into action. So I pray this does not fall in deaf ears, but good soil. And I believe that this is going to revolutionize and change not just our church, but our region. In the name of Jesus. And come on, everybody said in faith. Come on, everybody said in faith. Come on, can you give God a shout of praise today? You guys can be seated. Family, let me start off this presentation with a quick little illustration. Um, I heard this story. Actually, my mom was the one that downloaded it to me. She told me the story of a professor. Now, this professor had a Ph.D. and three master's degrees. He was a professor that led the professors. He was a teacher that taught teachers how to teach. He was a genius and a brilliant man. Now, this man was so brilliant that actually the university of the school that he worked for approached him and said, we would like you to take the presidency of the school And this man was honored. He was humbled. And his response was shocking. He said to the people, he goes, what an honor. What a privilege. But respectfully, I'm going to have to decline. Not only am I going to have to decline, but actually, I appreciate the promotion. And I know there's more compensation that comes with that promotion. But respectfully, I'm actually going to step down from the presidency and the professoring of this university. So not only did he get offered a promotion, he actually offered his resignation. And these people were mind blown. They're like, what in the world? This means, more, this means more profit for you. This means more money for you. This means you can, you can influence more people. And you're the guy for the job. You have a PhD and three master's degrees. What are you saying? He goes, actually, I have one more little shocking thing. Is I'm actually going to go down to a younger class, and I'm actually going to teach elementary school students. They go, what in the world are you thinking? And he says this. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. The reason I'm doing this is 
Not because I want to make a lot of money. I actually want to make a difference. And he goes, the point I'm, ma- I'm trying to make is this. Is would you rather or would you, uh, could you make more of an impact on wet cement or dry cement? The reason I'm going down to elementary school students is because I want to make an impact on future generations. Come on, is there anybody in here that would say, I want to make an impact on future generations? This, this illustrates and eases us into the subject matter of today, which is that God has given all of us a responsibility and the greatest gift and the greatest commodity he has given us, the responsibility steward, which is this, the next generation. All of us have a responsibility. This is not just for parents. This is not just for pastors. This is for you. And we are introduced and inundated in a scene in the story in Exodus chapter 2. Moses, this little baby boy, is born. But in the time he is born, there is a significant problem. They are under Egyptian slavery. The Israelites are multiplying like rabbits is what the Bible says. So there is literally persecution going on. Pharaoh, this man who doesn't know who Joseph was, Joseph was basically the, the man that, 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 that led Israel into the place they were in. He doesn't know who this man was. He didn't do his due diligence. He didn't study. He didn't know who these people were. He didn't know that Israel was God's chosen people. So he didn't realize that as he was opposing Israel, he was actually opposing God. I mean, this is a dangerous thing. You do not want God as your opponent. Come on, anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? So he literally says to all these Egyptian slave and and taskmasters, he says, listen, I want you to oppress the Israelite people because these people are multiplying and populating like crazy. Eventually, there's probably going to be an insurrection, and they're going to come against us, and there's going to be so many of them, and they're going to overwhelm us. So before that happens, put them into more bondage. Put them into more slavery and add more oppression to them. Because of this oppression, the Israelite people were multiplying like crazy. Here's my definition. They were Netflix and chilling, chilling. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Do you need me to go into any further detail? We get it. So these people were multiplying like crazy. However, I find it fascinating because there is a significant problem. As these people start to, they start to get some angst. They start to get some anxiety. And God sees a problem. He sees that his people, his chosen people are under oppression. Let me just tell you something and ease your conscience quickly. Know that even though you are facing problems, understand God loves you more than you love you. God cares about you more than you think you care about you and your family. God will take care of you. He's a good God. So he sees a problem. And so what happens to this problem? When God sees a problem, what does he do? He raises up a person. He raises up a person. And that person's purpose is to solve that problem. This is purpose defined. And so God raises up a person. His name is Moses. Little baby Moses. This young deliverer in baby form. This is the most, how many know, this is the most sensitive time for Moses. This is the most uh, dangerous time for Moses. And the time he was born by a woman named Jacobed and a man named Amram, by the time he was born, he was already under attack. He was birthed in oppression. He was birthed in slavery. Now put yourself in the scenario, put yourself in these shoes, and think of yourself as Moses' mom or dad for a second. The Bible says so clearly that Jacobed and Amram recognized the anointing that was on this beautiful little child. They recognized the call of God. Could you imagine how she felt of, God, you gave me this child, and now Pharaoh is going to take him away from me and kill him? And actually, it was told that you're supposed to throw all the firstborns into the Nile River to stop the population problem. Am I making sense, everybody? Can you handle a little Bible teaching today? So they were throwing these firstborn babies into the Nile River. And so after three months of hiding this baby boy, of protecting this little baby boy, what does Jacobet do? She, 
she puts this little tar basket, she makes this little, as the Hebrew says, an ark, and puts this little baby boy Moses and puts him into the Nile River, hoping God would do what he would do. The Bible says that Miriam, Moses' sister, was literally watching this little basket float alongside the river, hoping and praying God would intervene. There's a problem that these people were under oppression, these people were under slavery, and so what does God do? He raises up a person, and this person represents something to all of us, and I want to define it today. One of my, one of my responsibilities is to provide clarity and simplify the text. Moses represents something today. I want to throw this definition up there. For my note takers, you should write this down. Moses represents a child marked by God that requires, somebody say requires, requires. that requires a community to love, train, and protect them to reach their destiny. Let me repeat it one more time. Moses represents a child marked by God that requires a community to love, train, and protect them to reach their destiny. What is destiny? God's preferred future for your life. God has a preference for where you should go, but you have to uh, participate in his invitation if you want to experience that preference. Am I making sense, everybody? So Moses represents a young man, a young woman marked by God. But he requires a community. Listen to me. Moses would not be Moses if it wasn't for his mom, if it wasn't for his dad, if it wasn't for Pharaoh's daughter, if it wasn't for Miriam in Exodus chapter 1, if it wasn't for some of the midwives that actually protected him, held him, uh, held him, uh, protected him from uh, Pharaoh's oppression. Moses wouldn't have been Moses if it wasn't for a community. How many have ever heard the phrase, it takes a village? And I want to tell you today, listen, you might, you might be a parent and you have kids and they are your priority. Make no mistake about it. But all of us, whether you're a parent, whether you're a young man, whether you're a woman, whether you're an older, in the older generation, listen, all of us have a responsibility as a community to raise the next generation into righteousness. We all do. But the problem was that there was Egyptian slavery. There was Israelite oppression. God raises up a person, gives that person a purpose. Moses was to be a deliverer. Exodus is all about deliverance. So God raises up a deliverer to, to establish deliverance for his people, but there was a pharaoh. Somebody say pharaoh. pharaoh. There was a pharaoh. This pharaoh represents something in this text as well. He is an enemy that is designed or is attempting to steal, kill, and destroy the next generation. Yeah. Yeah. How many believe this? And I want, you to, I want you to hear my heart today. The next generation is our responsibility collectively to steward. Collectively to steward. I don't believe, let's, let's contextualize it to this context and to this church family. I don't believe we have young people in our church. I believe we have young prophets in our church. I believe it is our responsibility to steward them, to love them, to train them, and to develop them so that they can be raised up into all that God has for them. But it requires a community to do it. But there is a spirit of Pharaoh in this age. What is Pharaoh? He is an enemy raised up attempting to steal, kill, and destroy the next generation of Moseses. But here's something that I find eerily fascinating is that in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 2, we see that Pharaoh is trying to kill a young deliverer in Moses. But in the New Testament, we actually see in Matthew chapter 2 that there is a king by the name of Herod that's trying to kill a young savior named Jesus. So in the Old and New Testament, we see a pattern of the enemy. And that he has a preference, listen to me everybody, the enemy has a preference to take out our next generation. He has a preference to take out the next generation. He prefers this. Why? I'll, I'll use a little illustration quickly. Um, on FX and Hulu, there's a show right now. Matter of fact, let me, read, let me read the concept of this show. There's a show called Little Demon. 
And this show, here's the whole context. I, I went on their website, and this is literally the context of this show. It says this, 13 years after being impregnated by Satan, a reluctant mother, Laura, and her antichrist daughter, Chrissy, attempt to live an ordinary life in Delaware, but are constantly thwarted by monstrous forces, including Satan, who yearns for the custody of his daughter's soul. This is an animated television show on FX and Hulu right now. The enemy is at work then, the enemy is at work now, and the enemy is at work today, even in Jesus' context and in today's context. You have a responsibility to take care of the next generation. So the Bible says very clearly in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, throw the scripture up there, guys. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, it says, we will not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Which actually, we need to debrief this for a second. If you're newer to church, if you're newer to the faith community, let me give you a little context. We are not trying to scare you. We are trying to prepare you. Scripture speaks very clearly that there is an enemy, that there is a fallen angel. His name is Satan, and he has come to steal, kill, and destroy. So we need to acknowledge the existence that there is a threat against your creator and against your calling. This is what our our pastor says. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. So you are a spirit being having a human experience. Am I making sense, everybody? Because of that, we have to acknowledge the existence of an enemy. He is against your creator, and he is certainly against your calling. He's against your calling. He wants, he wants, not, he wants to make sure you are stopped in your tracks. So there's an, I remember watching this show. It's a really spiritual show. It's called The Terminator. Anybody watched that before? There's like 15 of these movies at this point. They should be concluded at the end of the day. They, they do not need any more of these things. But I remember watching this one particular scene where Arnold Schwarzenegger, who's the Terminator, goes back in time and talks to Sarah Connor, who's going to birth her son. Her son's going to be the deliverer of all, of all these Terminators. Am I making sense, everybody? So she, he goes back in time, and Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know how he is. He's big, bulky, strong, has that accent. He goes to Sarah Connor. He goes, Sarah, you're going to be attacked by an enemy, so I have come from the future to the past to protect you because they're coming after you. She goes, I'm just a mom. I'm working in this stupid little diner. Like, why are you trying to attack me? Anybody ever felt that way before, feeling insignificant? Gideon felt this way. So he literally comes back. He protects his woman, and he says this. It's not because you have done anything yet. It's for who you will become. This is Satan's design. This is Satan's preference is to come and attack you at birth, to come and attack you in infancy. Watch this. All this I've said so far is wrapped up in this little statement. Is Satan is trying to attack you at infancy so you don't be raised up so he doesn't have to deal with it at maturity. When, listen to me, everybody, listen to me, everybody. When is the easiest time to kill a king? When he's a kid. This is what they did for Jesus. This is what they did for Moses. When's the easiest time to stop a deliverer when he is developing? So what is our responsibility? What is our requirement? Remember, Moses is a marked man of God at a young age, but it required midwives, Jacobed, Amram, mom, dad, community, brothers, sisters, mentors to raise up young Moseses. So we have a responsibility together to accomplish that. When is the easiest time to thwart some callings or to thwart a young man of God or a young woman of God? At birth. So we need to recognize the enemy's tactics and not be unaware of his schemes. So we must acknowledge his existence, number one. We must recognize his patterns, number two. How many know this? Hollywood believes in the demonic. When is the church? 
I'll say another question. Hollywood believes in the next generation. When will the church believe in the next generation? And I'm just believing that this church, this community is going to be the exception where we have a passion to raise up young Moseses and believe that God's going to do great things with them because collectively we are going to protect them, love them, and train them. Is there anybody here that believes that? Amen. Amen. So here's what I want to do is I want to give you three viewpoints that I see from the text of how people view the next generation. Write this first one down is this. Three viewpoints. You see that Pharaoh had a problematic view. As he sees the next generation, he sees children as a burden. And this spirit is still in this age today. Let me just tell you something. As scripture states, children are not a burden. Children are a blessing. Our kids, our students, your cousins, your nephews, they're being attacked at a young age. And that spirit of Pharaoh, that spirit of King Herod is still present today. And so what do we need? We need, we need, we need you to just view the next generation differently. Matter of fact, I heard this awesome story. Uh, there's a young man by the name of Joshua Bell. He is a master violinist. And about 14, 15 years old, he was literally such a prodigy with a violin that he would go all around the world, get paid $90,000 in event as a 14-year-old. How many would like that budget right there? And he would go all around the world. They did an experiment with him because they recognized that many people did not appreciate the value that he brought or appreciate his prodigy. So what did they do? They went into New York. He went into one of the subways. He had a violin worth $4 million. And he is a master violinist. Again, $90,000. This 14-year-old is getting paid per event. And so he's just playing his violin in the subways of New York. And what happened? Thousands upon thousands and thousands of people were simply just walking by this young man, just seeing him as a nuisance because he was in their way and not recognize the prodigy that was right in front of him. Can I just tell you something about our kids? Can I tell you something about the future generation? The next generation are not problems. They are prodigies. I believe that with my whole heart. You don't have a young man in your household. You have a young prophet in your household. You don't have a young woman in your household. You have royalty in your household. I need us to not just share this from the pastor's heart. No, we have a passion. We have a priority to take care of the next generation. You have a problematic view or you have a passive view. And this is where I think a lot of people sit. Could you imagine what would have happened... If these people didn't step up, if, if mom and dad of Moses just simply said, I'm just going to follow the customs, I have to throw the baby boys into the Nile, I have to just abandon my post, abandon my responsibility, what if Miriam didn't watch after the little baby, what if the midwives didn't step up, the Bible says in Exodus chapter 1 that they feared God, and so there was actually a civil disobedience that took place where they recognize that even though Pharaoh is putting this command to throw all the baby boys in the Nile, they recognize that they are actually not citizens of Egypt. They're citizens of heaven, first and foremost. So we operate with a different value system. Am I making sense, everybody? We operate with a different value system. So they simply said, I am going to disobey what Pharaoh says because I know what my God says, and we value life. So if it wasn't for these people stepping up, nothing would have happened. And this is what the passive viewpoint says, is they say, okay, well, the next generation is not a problem, but it's not my problem. What a dangerous mindset that that is. I was in the household the other day, and um, I was on daddy duty. It was a Saturday, and Nat, my wife, is off working her wedding. And I have both the boys in the household. All of a sudden, I hear this little thump. And then I hear this big thump going on in the living room. 
And so I go into the living room, and all I see is Ezra, my two-year-old. He's a little, not demon, but he's a little angel, my mom, <laughs> speaking in faith in the name of Jesus. Father, we declare salvation over that young man right now. Repent of his sin. I'm kidding. So he grabs this little book. He throws it on the ground. My translation is he's like, I like this. <laughs> he grabs another book, and then throw all the books on the ground. Now, Zion, I literally walk into the living room, and Zion goes, Dad, as he just threw all the books and threw it onto the ground, I go, Zion, were you just watching it happen? He goes, yeah, but it's not my fault. I go, Zion, bro, if you're watching it happen, you got to do something about it. He goes, okay, Dad, I get it, but it's not my fault. It was all Ezzy. <laughs> and I was cracking up, but I told him this one little statement, and I want to tell our church family this little statement, is although it might not have been your fault to see where this next generation is, it is your responsibility to pick up the pieces. We do not have a passive view in this church. I firmly and solemnly believe that God's going to carry a supernatural way where we take care of our youth. You either have a problematic viewpoint, a passive viewpoint, or a passionate one where you say, these people are my priority. Listen, your priority is your kids, but you need to start developing some spiritual kids to start mentoring some people, to start developing some people in your own household. We have young prophets in this house, and they don't even know it yet. So from this point, what I want to do is I want to shift the sermon a little bit. We're going to go from Moses' story to Connect Church's story. I want to shift into a little bit more practicality for a second because I want to give you three things. I want to give you our plan, and I want to give you our ask, and I want to show you our goal for all of our student ministries, really from young adults even all the way down to kids. I have a specific plan I want to show you for what we're going to do with our middle school all the way up to our young adults. But first and foremost, you need to understand something. Our church is not a babysitting service for your kids. We are a leadership factory. We are, we are not just simply a place where you come in and you bring your kids and you drop them off downstairs and go ahead, little Johnny, you go, go, enjoy. That's not what this church is about. Right now, your kids in kids' church, right down in kids' ministry, they're getting people laying hands on them, pleading the blood of Jesus over them, training them the Bible and teaching them scripture. They are being raised up to be leaders for the house of God. We are not some babysitting service. We are a leadership factory. I'm fired up right now. So number one, I want you to know we are providing intentional and specific curriculum. Intentional and specific curriculum with emphasis on five major areas. I want you to cue this up, guys. But understand something. You can't live a good life with bad information. The Bible says in Hosea chapter 4, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And if you're not training your kids, listen to me, the devil is. I'm going to repeat it again, and I'm going to get a better amen than that. If you're not training your kids, the devil is. Culture is. Their flesh is. And so we must be intentional. Listen to me. If you're not dragging your kids' butts to, school, to, uh, to youth ministry on Wednesday nights, what are you doing? Oh, they didn't really connect super well the first couple times, and they're a little awkward. All kids are awkward at that age. Six months, drag your kids, and I promise you, you will not recognize your children when you come here. I'm talking about in student ministries. I'm talking about in young adults. I'm talking about kids' church right now. Come on, can we thank God for the people that are taking care of our kids as we speak? People that sacrifice not coming to church service to, to listen to the word, but actually they're training your kids. Make sure for some of the parents that go downstairs, you just say thank you to some of the people that are watching, praying, pleading the blood over your kids right now. So we're, we're providing intentional curriculum. Here are five key areas of emphasis that we want to highlight. Would be this. Number one would be spiritual depth. Number one would be spiritual depth. Is we want to teach the next generation how to live by principles and promptings. Yeah. Meaning they learn how to read a text, but they also hear how to hear from the Holy Spirit. Yeah. 
I, I, I just believe this, that, that young 13-year-olds can actually lead 30-year-olds because they're far more mature in their spiritual intelligence. Yeah. We want to train them with some spiritual depth. We want to have them have some emotional health. That would be a second emphasis. Because what good is it to build something great, yet your soul be tormented? We don't want them to just live right. We want them to live well. And depression, anxiety, mental health is out the, is just is crazy right now. And so we need to, to make sure we're taking care of our students and give them proper tools and equipment and scripture to, to heal that, to set free from that. Listen to me, and I just want to declare this for somebody. Mental health is, uh, mental health is your portion. You will have mental clarity in Jesus' name. Amen. We break off a spirit of addiction and anxiety. And so we want to highlight spiritual depth, emotional health, number two, financial, uh, number three, financial peace. I mean, money is not our source, but it is a resource. How good would it be for our 13-year-old students, our 16-year-old students, our 8-year-olds downstairs to learn how to balance a budget young? How many would have liked that when we were younger? <laughs> Come on, I'll at your boy real quick. I'm so grateful. I love this about our church. I love this about our church that I actually learned financial peace and I learned financial uh, language um, when I was in church. I didn't learn that from the school system. I learned that because of the house of God, learning how to budget, learning how to invest, learning how to save, learning how to give. Money is not our source, but it's a resource. We also want to make sure we have relational strength. Major emphasis right here, relational strength. Meaning money can make you rich, but how many know relationships make you wealthy? We want them to have not a church or a service to come to. For all of you right here right now, listen, church on Sundays is great. You need to prioritize it. It's good to be in an atmosphere of faith. But more than a service to belong to, you need a family to do life with. And our students, our kids need community. They need relationships. And the last one would be personal growth. Is if Jesus had to grow, so do they. If Jesus had to grow, so do you. We get this all from Luke chapter 2, verse 52. Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, favor with God, and favor with man. Uh, wisdom, intellect, stature, personal, uh, favor with God, spiritual, favor with man, relational. We added financial because I know all of us need some help financially. So we are being intentional with our curriculum. We are being intentional. Number two, what we want to provide is community. Because you need family to do life with. You need family to do life with. In community, you find coaches. In community, you find friends. In community, you find a life well lived. And three, we want to provide opportunity. Last week, who was here last week in church? Last week, we had five young communicators come forward. And how many were just blessed by them? I was so proud. That took years of training, years of preparation, and it accumulated on a Sunday like that. And it was 10 years ago, around this time, where as a young, immature, dumb kid, my dad gave me an opportunity to preach my first sermon here. And now, 10 years later, I am an old, dumb, immature young man, but God's using it. Praise God. But we are a church that will provide opportunities for the next generation to train and grow in their giftings. We're going to be that kind of church. I heard an awesome story. Um, they say cruises are for newlyweds and the nearly deads. <laughs> If that offends some of the older generation, I'm very sorry. It's an illustration, okay? I didn't say it, but I'm using it. If you're offended, come to the altar and send an email to Whitney Cook. Um, <laughs> so they say cruises are for those two people. And, and there was one particular lady that actually fell off the boat. She fell into the cold Atlantic wintry water. 
And all of a sudden you hear another splash where the, one of the oldest men on the cruise jumps into the water, grabs this woman, swims back to shore, and everybody's celebrating. All the women are like, this man's a hero. All the men are quiet because they all feel shame that they didn't do that. So they actually give this older gentleman, they say, here, here's a microphone. We want to give you the mic. Say whatever you need to say. And this guy was angry. His brow was furrowed. He was frustrated. He gets the microphone. And he says, I have one question. Who pushed me in the water? <laughs> Come on, how many know? Sometimes to be all that God called you to be, all you need is a little push. All you need is a little push. We're going to be that kind of church. We're going to be that kind of church that just gives them a little push to be all that God called them to be. So I have an ask for you. I have three asks, actually. The first one is this, is, is I want to ask you to invest. What does this mean? I believe thoroughly and clearly the greatest investment you could ever make in your entire life is contributing to the local church. Amen. Why? Because the local church is the hope of the world. The local church, if you financially invest in this local church, and don't worry, we're not passing a plate. We're not going to offer anything right now. I'm asking you to talk to God about this. But with the people that tithe, the people that belong and build this local body, it is the greatest investment on this side of heaven because this has eternal significance attached to it. Can I show you some accomplished vision from last weekend for a second? We had Revival Nights, which is essentially our conference for our youth and young adults. And I want to show you quickly of what was happening last weekend. First of all, we had 78 decisions for Christ in one weekend in Massachusetts. That just simply does not happen, by the way. 78 decisions for Christ. Here's the next one. Watch this. We had 488 young people between both days, 271 the first night, 217 the second night. We had 351 unique attendees. Number four. Our high-priority guests, here's what this means. Our high-priority guests are, because of a registration, all of our team uh, siphoned some of this information out, and we saw that there were 77 people that said, I don't have a home church, or I would like to get involved in some capacity. That has the potential for 77 people to come into this body, to come into this community and say, I want to join this family, and I want to get connected to our purpose. How many know the, the vision of Connect is we exist to connect and disconnect it? And maybe that means... Uh, connect them to God because they're far from God. Or maybe that means connect them to their purpose. But we have 77 high-priority guests. This took seven months of planning. Our first, our first planning uh, meeting was seven months ago in the beginning of March. How many know this kind of ministry takes time. It takes investment. It takes planning. And ultimately, here's the last one. This costs $9,956 to the T. And what I want to say to all of you is how many know, first of all, ministry, good, effective ministry requires money. But secondly, I want to say thank you to all the tithers. Thank you to the, all the investors because that is your reward. It's not just because I'm a, I'm a preacher. It's not because we had a great guest speaker. It's not because we had a great team and great planning. This is our reward, and we share in that efforts together. So I want to say to the people that have built this church, to the people that invest in this church, thank you so much. God bless you guys. Thank you for what we're doing. And how many know, listen to me, I want to share some vision for the future. Next year, I believe in speaking in faith, we are going to double it. We're going to double it. We're going to see twice as many salvations, twice as much attendance, and this auditorium will not be able to fit our students. I'm going to say it again so you guys respond the way you should respond. This auditorium will not be able to fit our students in here. We are going to reach the next generation no matter what it costs. I believe that with my whole heart. And so we're asking, pray, talk to God about it, but maybe some of you need to invest. 
a dream of mine, and I believe this is a God-given dream because it would only, it would only be accomplished through the hand of God. I was always praying and always believing that our student ministries would be greater and bigger than the high school that I went to. As of right now, Ashland High School is 832 students. We are going to have a student ministry that is stronger, bigger, and healthier than Ashland High School. It's going to be better than that. And it's not just having all these people come. These people are going to be coached. These people are going to be mentored. These people are going to be discipled. Because as a body, we are a community that raises up young Moseses that have a clear call of God to love them, train them, and protect them. Can I get an amen from somebody in this house? Investment. Number two. Number two is involvement. For some of you guys, you can invest only. And that's okay because of the season of life you're in or whatever it may be. But number two would be involvement. What does this mean? I'll, I'll use it as an illustration. I remember walking into Target because my wife forced me to. Anyways, um, walking into Target and I saw this young girl. She's, I guess, two years old. Really small, little cute little girl. And she walks up to the mat where the sensor is to open that kind of automatic door. And the door wouldn't open because it didn't recognize her because she didn't weigh enough. <laughs> but then all of a sudden I saw a dad walk over and he stepped on the mat and the door's open. And she goes, Dad, what in the world? Why is the door not opening up for me? And, she, and he goes, it's because, young lady, a dad carries a little bit more weight than you, a little bit more influence than you, and that's why the door will open. And that's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to open doors for the next generation so that the world can open up to them. That's what I'm asking for. So what does this mean specifically? Some ideas, some thoughts. Some of you guys need to raise up and step up in your faith and start spiritually fathering or mothering some of our next gen. You guys have been in this boat and been in this situation for a long time. And I'm saying, I know some of you guys because the devil is whispering to people, that's not me. I'm not, I'm not strong enough in my faith yet. Or I'm not prepared for that yet. Or I don't know enough of the Bible. Shut up. I am telling you, stop disqualifying yourself because the Lord does not disqualify you. That is the lies of the enemy. And you need to step up and father or mother some of our young kids and some of our young men. They need investment. For some of us, we're looking for home sponsors. We're looking for internships where we can take people from all over the country and bring them here. God is going to do something great through our next generation. And so if you have questions, if you have comments, if you want to have some dialogue and some conversation, I'm going to throw up two emails. It's going to be Whitney's email and my email. So throw it up there, guys, real quick. If you have discussions, if you want to have some conversation, you want a home sponsor, you want a mentor, you want a spiritual father, you want to lead a small group and develop some of our next gen, talk to some of us. So this is Whitney Cook. If you want, this is Whitney, our youth director. Come on, make some noise for Whitney. She's crushing it right now. These are two emails. We'll leave it up for a second. If you have any complaints from this sermon, send it to Whitney Cook. If you have any compliments, send it to DJ Fry, okay? And if you don't like our vision, send it to Joshua Teneo, okay? Um, also, I want to highlight Parent Night. This is going to be where any of our young students, Next Generation Ministries and up, I want, I want you guys to come to our Parent Night, and this is a, a QR code that we'll, you can sign up for. We want to have discussions with you because, listen to me, culture is training your children, and just trust me, you do not want culture to train them. We have a responsibility to train our children, train our young kids in the way they should go. I'm not going to leave Zion and Ezra, my two boys, in culture's hands. Because we don't fear the future, we pioneer the future. And so for some of us, it's investments. For some of us, it's involvement. For some of us, it's intercession. We need to pray for this next generation. I believe in my heart of hearts that God is going to use this next generation to do something we have never seen before. The next Billy Grahams 
are being raised up in this generation. And I believe, listen to me, we have them in our church. We have them in our student ministries and our kids' ministry downstairs as we speak. So stop seeing them as a problem. Start seeing yourself as a solution. Stop being passive. Be passionate about what God is going to do. I believe this because somebody told this to me. They said, raise your kids like he's the answer to a nation. This is our priority. This is our responsibility to train up young Moseses that require community, us, to raise them, train them, love them, or protect them. But think about Miriam for, um, forgive me, think about Jacobet for a second. She grabs this little beautiful baby boy, recognizes the call of God at a young age. She protects him, hides him away for three months. Eventually she realizes, I can't protect this young man anymore. He's going to start crying. There's going to be an Egyptian that comes by and recognize his calling, recognize he's alive, and throw him right into the Nile. So what, is, what, is, what does she do? She grabs literally this, this, this little basket, this little boat that she makes, and she puts him into the Nile. This is symbolic, by the way. This is literally saying, God, not in my strength. I can't do this anymore. I'm going to put this little baby in the Nile River, and into your hands I commit my child. And literally, Miriam just watches over. Moses' sister just watches over this little baby as she's going down the, uh, as going down the river. And eventually, Pharaoh's daughter, the princess, the man that said all the firstborn sons need to die, that man, his daughter, recognizes Moses. Why? Because she hears tears. I want you to hear that in the spirit today. I want you to hear the next generation crying out for leadership. She hears tears. And what happened? She heard Moses' tears, and it moved her heart. God opened her eyes to be able to see this little basket. God opened her heart to be able to hear this baby crying. And eventually it moved her to action to say, I'm going to take care of this baby. And not only did she take care of this baby, but she made Pharaoh pay for the baby's training. God literally made Pharaoh pay. Literally. I didn't say this in first service, but I'm going to close with this illustration. I remember hearing this about this old elderly lady who was a spiritual elderly lady. She would go out on her front porch every single day, and she would just yell out to God. She said, thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Come on, how many people would just say, thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. He's been good to me. She literally every single morning, day after day, consistently, thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. One particular day, she had a neighbor move into her house, or move into uh, her next-door house, neighborhood. And this neighbor was an atheist. And so he started being on the front porch, drinking his little coffee, reading a book, and he heard this elderly woman just go, praise the Lord, thank you, Jesus. And he's like, eventually he got so annoyed by it, because obviously he doesn't believe what she believes. And he literally yells out, there is no God. And this elderly woman just goes, thank you, Jesus. Come on, spiritual gangster right here. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. She keeps doing this over and over again until one day in particular, it was a wintry storm. She didn't have enough money to get groceries, and she didn't have the ability to get out of her house for groceries. And so she literally walks onto the front porch, and she goes, thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. I know you're going to provide groceries for me, but God, I'm in desperate need right now because I don't have a lot of money, and I don't have availability. And the atheist overheard this. Next day, she goes out to her front porch, three bags of groceries. She goes, thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. And the atheist jumped out of this little bush. He goes, ha, ha. I paid for your groceries. That wasn't God. And the salary lady goes, thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. You made the devil pay for it. This, this is what God did with baby Moses, and this is what God is going to do with our next generation. 
We are going to see prayers take place. We are going to see investment take place. And God is going to make the devil pay for it. Can I get an amen, everybody? This is what God's going to do. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I believe all of us have a responsibility to raise up young Moseses, young ladies, young men. And so, Father, right now, I just pray you would move on behalf of this message. Lord, I feel like I did my assignment, now I'm asking you to fulfill yours. I pray that this would not just be a principle put into their mind, but this would be a passion put in their heart. That, God, we would literally get a burden, move emotionally on them. That, God, they would cry for the young Moseses. They would cry for the next generation that are fatherless, that are homeless, that don't have spiritual fathers or mothers or mentors or brothers or sisters. I understand, God, that our priority is our children if we have them. But I pray you would literally just do a supernatural work on the inside that we would, as a community, take responsibility for the next generation through our involvement, through our investment, through our intercession. Do in us what you did to the princess. Open our eyes to see the need. Open our hearts to be moved with compassion and ultimately move our hands that would be moved to action. I believe you're gonna do that today in Jesus' name. Now with every head bowed and every eye closed still, I wanna pray for you and I wanna give you some of you an opportunity. Maybe you didn't have a father, maybe you didn't have a spiritual mother or a brother or a mentor or a leader or good leadership being raised up. Let me just tell you, God's gonna rewrite your story. Come on, everybody, agree with me. God's going to rewrite your story, just like he did with Moses. All the odds were against him, but listen to me. God was for him. Amen. And the sovereignty of God orchestrated divinely a reworking to the point where he literally made Pharaoh pay for his training. I'm telling you, that season is going to be approaching you. But first you need to do, the first step you need to take is to say yes to Jesus. If that's you, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to boldly shoot up your hand. Who cares if your neighbor is looking? Boldly shoot up your hand. This is between you and God. One, Jesus loves you. Two, today is your day for salvation. Three, if that's you, shoot your hand up and say, I need to say yes to Jesus. I see your hand and your hand and your hand. I see, so, I see your hand and your hand, young man. I'm so proud of you. I see your hand, sir. Thank you so much. We're so proud of you. Is there anybody else? I see your hand in the back there. I'm so proud of you. I see your hand in the back there. I'm so proud of you. I see your hand, sir. I'm so proud of you. Repeat this prayer after me and say, Jesus, I need you. I can't do this life by myself. I can't do this life on my own. And so I ask that you would help me. Move on behalf of me. Today, I trust you. I put my faith in you. I acknowledge you as my savior, but also my king, my leader, my Lord. So today, Lord, I seal these prayers that they have prayed. Even if it's not perfect, you move on behalf of the heart, not the recital. So, Father, today I ask that you would develop some leadership in them. That we would literally take a responsibility to move and to lead this next generation. I declare the best is yet to come for your life. The best is yet to come for your family, for your business. Because we're going to have some kingdom work put into this. In Jesus' name. Come on, would everybody stand to their feet? Can you praise, praise the Lord? Clap your hands. Let's worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords together.